0: All right, great to be back and see all of you. If you'd like to reach into your bag, there's a handout in there that'll have the discussion questions for you to fill out during my message. And so if you just want to look for one, it says, is submission a bad word? That's the title of this message. So take out your paper in there. It's got my family on the back, picture of my books, but we're going to be on the other side with some lessons for this message. Is submission a bad word? And then some discussion questions there at the bottom for you to ask each other that come from my my workbook so raise your hand anyone thinks submission is a bad word let's see who raises their hand nobody I know nobody thinks submission is a bad word all right well this message ought to go really really well then <laughs> <laughs> I want to begin with a lesson so if you look on that sheet lesson one submission is part one necessary lesson one submission is part one necessary And I say this because I want to invite you to think about any structure, whether for teams or for businesses or for schools or really any organization, there are individuals who are in leadership and businesses, there are CEOs and sports, there are coaches, organizations have presidents, schools have principals, but what don't you ever see? You don't see two head coaches. You don't see two head pilots, you don't see two presidents, you don't see two head surgeons. You're always going to see a head coach and assistant coach, president and vice president, pilot, co-pilot, principal, assistant, principal. And this is because the world recognizes the need for submission. This is because the world recognizes the need for headship and authority, and in God's wisdom— he created submission in marriage, too. Now, five times in the New Testament, Ephesians 5.22, Ephesians 5.24, Colossians 3.18, 1 Peter 3.1, Titus 2.4, commands wives to submit to their husbands. So it's actually one of the most common commands in the New Testament. It is the command for wives that's parallel with the command for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And so the point is this command, it's not vague. This command is not nebulous. There's really no way around it. You can't get through the New Testament without encountering it literally every single time wives are discussed. Anytime wives are discussed in the New Testament, there is that corresponding command for them to submit to their husbands. This isn't something that I made up. We don't have to infer this from Scripture. Submit is not a a man-made word like rapture or like trinity, not that there's anything wrong with the rapture or the trinity. But the point is, this is a word that is in Scripture that we don't have to infer. Now, I want to make a brief point before we go any further. I've been a pastor for almost 15 years, and I know that unbelievers criticize Christianity, and one of the more common criticisms of Christianity relates to what we're talking about, that command for wives to submit to their husbands. And so it's really important for us to keep in mind that there's really nothing that has ever done more for wives than the gospel. There's nothing that has ever done more for women than Christianity. If you look at those places in the world that mistreat women the worst, our minds probably go to the Middle East, what's the only solution to the treatment of women in those areas? the gospel of Jesus Christ, for Christianity to be introduced there, for the gospel to capture men's hearts and cause them to treat their wives as Christ treated or sacrificed for the church. And I invite you to keep this in mind because when Christianity starts being criticized, associated with this aspect of it that wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, you need to remember, you need to be able to respond that Christianity has done more for women than anything else in history. There's nothing else that's going to elevate women to the level of care and concern and love and adoration than Christianity when husbands read that command and are told that they are to be to their wives what Christ is to the church. The next thing to understand about submission, lesson one, submission is part two, not a matter of superiority. So back on your handouts, submission is part two, not a matter of superiority. The main criticism of submission goes something like this, and I've heard it plenty of times, probably more times than I can count. If wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, then that must mean that wives are inferior to their husbands. And there's an inconsistency with this thinking, and I might even say for many people who make that accusation, somewhat of a hypocrisy, because those same people won't also make that same statement associated with other areas of submission in life. Here's what I mean. When we submit to government when employees submit to employers, when students submit to teachers, when children submit to their parents, do we look and say that the children submitting, the students submitting, the employees submitting are inferior to those they're submitting to? Or do we think that because we submit to the government, that we're inferior to the government? We don't, right? And so if we can recognize that in all other spheres of life, submission does not equate inferiority, we need to also apply that same logic to the Christian life and to the marriage relationship. Now, if you're a Christian, there's an even bigger reason to recognize that submission does not make someone inferior. Because if I ask you, who is the most submissive person who has ever lived? Let's say person capital P. Who are you going to say? Okay, there was like three of you that said that. (laughs) Who's the most submissive person who's ever lived? His life was the picture of submission. Nobody has ever been more submissive than him. John 6.38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, the most beautiful instance of submission in all of history, Matthew 26, 39. Jesus went a little further. He fell on his face and he prayed and he said, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless, not as I will. But as you will. I mean, Jesus' life from beginning to end was about submission to his Father. Nobody has ever been more submissive than him. I will make your will my own, not my will, but yours. And to be consistent, if these people who criticize submission as commanded in Scripture, equating it with inferiority, have to acknowledge that Jesus is the most inferior person who has ever lived, they have to acknowledge that God the Son is greatly inferior. To God the Father, but beyond that, since nobody's ever been more submissive than Christ, He's the most inferior person who's ever walked the earth. Now, here's the truth there are few things in this life that are more Christ like than submission. There are few things in life that are more Christ like than submission, whether it's congregations to elders, employees to employers, children to parents, wives to husbands. A submissive heart is a heart like Christ. To submit is to be like Christ. Now, if you want to talk about the opposite of submission, you have to talk about the devil. If you want to talk about the opposite of submission, you have to think of rebellion. And if Christ is the perfect picture of submission, then the devil is the perfect picture of rebellion. He would not submit to God. He was not content with his position. He didn't want the headship or the authority that was over him. He wanted the position that belonged to God. And I'd say it like this, just as Jesus is that perfect picture of submission and to submit— whether wives to their husbands or husbands to government or whatever authority is over us, is to be like Christ, to rebel in any form, whether in the marriage relationship or in any other area of life, is to be like the devil. The next part of lesson one, submission is part three for when a wife disagrees. Lesson one, submission is part three for when a wife disagrees. I've heard this statement a few times in marriage counseling. A wife will say, Well, I would submit to my husband if I agreed with him. (laughs) When a wife says that, what she means is, I would submit to my husband if it didn't involve any submission. Because submission is entirely in place for what? When you don't agree with your husband. If you agreed with your husband, you wouldn't need to do what? So God has introduced submission for those times when a husband and wife have talked it out. A husband has heard his wife's counsel. Let let me just be clear about this, ladies. Or I could say this to the guys too, but I I hope the gentlemen already know this. Your husband has three great resources in his life. He has the Word of God, he has the Holy Spirit, and he has you. I mean, God looked... And everything had been good, 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 good. Six days of creation, good, 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 good. What's the first thing God saw that wasn't good? Man being alone. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. And some women cringe at that. And they're like, helper, you know, I don't really like that term. You need to understand, ladies, that when God said, I'll make him a helper, that was a criticism of Adam. (laughs) That was about his inadequacy. That was about Adam's insufficiency. God looked and said, this dude needs help. He's not going to make it (laughs) on his own. Look at him. He's pathetic. He's going to flounder. I'll make him a helper. She will be excellent. She will provide that sufficiency and adequacy that he needs and would not have without her. And so any husband that doesn't listen to his wife or discounts her thoughts or her counsel or her advice is disregarding one of the three great resources God has given him second only to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so, gentlemen, the point is, we listen to our wives. We heed their thoughts. We take their counsel into consideration. Very few decisions do I make without conferring with my wife first and taking heavily into consideration what she thinks. But there are those times when a husband and wife have talked, a husband has heard all of his wife's thoughts, received all of her counsel, and he he has prayed, Perhaps he sought counsel from elders. He's went to the word, and he is convinced that the decision that should be made is not the decision that his wife is recommending. And so at that moment, what are you going to do? Is it paper, rock, scissors? You going to flip a coin? God has said that for the relationship to go forward, the responsibility for that decision rests where? On the husband's shoulders. He says, so the relationship can go forward, the responsibility rests on the husband's shoulders. And ladies, please listen to me when I say this. Your responsibility ends at submitting to your husband and supporting him. Your responsibility does not end at making sure the right decision is made. If your responsibility ended at making sure the right decision was made and you happen to think your husband is making a wrong decision, then you wouldn't submit, you'd keep talking. (laughs) You keep offering your counsel and thoughts because you'd be convinced that you have to make sure the right decision is made but the fact is you're submitting because you think he's not making the right decision. Submission is entirely in place for those moments when you disagree with your husband and think that he's doing something wrong. A good way for wives to think about submission is you're not supporting the idea, you're supporting the man behind the idea. Submission is saying, "I love my husband. I know that this is what God commands." I respect my husband, so I want to support him. Even though I disagree, I'm going to do my best to go along with this decision. Let's continue with lesson two. Submission means a wife, part one, puts her husband in a position to lead. Submission means a wife, part one, puts her husband in a position to lead. I wrestled growing up, and I coached wrestling in middle school and high school wrestling when I was a school teacher. Anyone know what the enemy of wrestling is? Basketball. goes on during wrestling season. We lost so many great wrestlers to basketball. Uh, Wrestling, it's God's sport. (laughs) Did did someone say, oh, my goodness? I'll pretend like I didn't hear that. God wrestles with sinners' hearts. He wrestled with Jacob. I mean, if there's going to be a sport in heaven, you know, audio adrenaline sings, there's going to be football. No, there's going to be wrestling. Okay, but anyway, considering my love for wrestling, the fact that one of my favorite movies is Hoosiers... (laughs) A basketball movie tells you that this must be a great movie. So in this movie, Gene Hackman has recently taken over as the local hometown basketball coach. And nobody likes him because he does everything different. He's not running the practices or the show the way that the previous coach does. He takes over and he changes everything. And then Gene Hackman makes everything worse by taking the town's drunk and making him the assistant coach. The guy that nobody respects is made the assistant coach by Gene Hackman because he saw something in him. He saw some potential, some leadership ability. He he knew that before his days of becoming a drunk, he had been a very talented basketball player and was still very knowledgeable. But Gene Hackman recognized something. As long as he, Gene Hackman, was in the game, there was really no way for his assistant coach, Dennis Hopper, to lead. So in this fairly comical moment of the game, uh, or of the movie, during one of the most crucial um, games that they're playing, Dennis, uh, Gene Hackman, the head coach, he starts throwing this fit in the middle of the gymnasium. And he's screaming and hollering, and the referee walks up to him, recognizes the bizarreness of his behavior, and he says, look, coach, you've got to tone it down. If you don't tone it down, I'm going to throw you out of here. And so Gene Hackman whispers to him, and he says, throw me out of here. And the ref says, what? And he says, throw me out of the game. I told you to throw me out of the game. If you don't throw me out of the game... I'm gonna make a bigger fit. And so the ref says, okay, you got your way. And he turns around and he says, You're out of here. And so Dennis, so then Gene Hackman, the head coach, walks out of the gymnasium. Half the people are cheering that he got kicked out because they can't stand him so much. But on Gene Hackman's way out, he takes the playbook and he walks over to Gene Hackman, or he walks over to Dennis Hopper, the assistant coach. And it shows Dennis Hopper's face because he knows that he's in charge now. And do you know how he looked? He just looked terrified. Dennis Hopper just looked terrified. And Gene Hackman, hands in the playbook, and he says, you're in charge. You're in charge. And I'm telling you this, ladies, because this is what you have to do. You have to get yourself thrown out of the game sometimes. You've got to tell your husband that he's in charge. Submission means putting your husband in a position to lead. Now, since submission receives so much criticism, and I'm talking to you now, gentlemen, you would think that there would be women just lined up at my office complaining about submission. That every day I just have these women coming and saying, Oh, it's so barbaric. I can't believe this. That God's word would expect wives to submit to their husbands. I can't believe that my husband expects me to submit to him. Gentlemen, I don't hear that. I don't hear that criticism. You all know the criticism I hear from wives? My husband won't lead. My husband won't lead. I wish my husband was a spiritual leader so I could follow him. I wish my husband would pray with me. I wish my husband would read the word with me. I wish my husband would be a godly man that I could look up to, that I could respect, that I could submit to. I don't hear wives complaining about having to submit, but I hear a lot of wives complaining that their husbands won't lead. Now, if I can be honest with you ladies, some of your husbands don't lead because you don't let them. You say that you want them in the driver's seat, but it's almost like you want to keep your hands on the wheel. (laughs) You say you want him in the front of the saddle, but it's almost like you want to reach around and kind of hold on to the reins. If you want your husband to lead, let me tell you what not to do. Don't complain about the decisions he makes. Don't get upset when he doesn't do things the way that you would do those things. Do your best to support him. There are some husbands, they don't feel the weight of responsibility on their shoulders because their wives just don't let that weight rest there. Those wives are too busy lifting that mantle off their husband's shoulders and putting it on their own shoulders. So ladies, if you want your husband to lead, let that weight rest there. Put yourself behind him and make him feel like he has to lead because you won't. Now, if you do this... It's going to increase the likelihood that your husband will take his role seriously. Ladies, this is what is going to cause your husband to put his nose in the word of God. This is what is going to burden your husband to be a man of prayer when he recognizes what's resting on his shoulders. But if you keep removing it from him, don't expect him to take his job seriously. Don't expect him to take his role seriously. But if he thinks that it matters what he does because you're going to support those decisions, because you're going to follow him, because he feels that mantle on his shoulders, he'll get on his knees. He will take his role as your husband more seriously than you have ever seen before. Helen Andelin said, let your husband have full reign. Don't stand back with anxiety wondering if things are going to turn out all right. If he makes mistakes, if he gets into difficulty, let him suffer the consequences, because it's the only way that he will learn to lead. I think we all recognize that in any area of life, if people are given real leadership and authority, there has to be the potential for them to what? For them to fail. And it's the same in marriage. Now picture this situation. A wife hus- hands her husband the keys, and she says, "You're going to drive." She's trying to put him in the driver's seat. So much so, she races around, gets in the passenger seat. She wants it to be as clear as possible to him that he's in charge. So they start driving. He's feeling that responsibility. But then suddenly, all these commands start coming. Turn here. Are you going to get over? Aren't you going too fast? Aren't you going too slow? Why do you always choose this lane? Aren't you going to stop? Haven't you been stopped long enough? Are we almost out of gas? Is that the empty light I see? (laughs) that's a driver's ed class. (laughs) Your husband's not driving? There's an important reason that wives submit to their husbands, and it actually has nothing to do with the husband. And it has nothing to do with the wife's relationship with her husband. It has everything to do with her relationship with the Lord. And this brings us to the next part of lesson two. Submission means a wife, part two, trust God. Submission means a wife, part two, trust God. I have heard women say, and I want to be sensitive, ladies, I completely understand this. And I believe the sincerity of it when women say this to me I have trouble submitting to my husband because I don't trust him. And when she says that, I can see the fear in her eyes. I do trust God, I just don't trust my husband. Ladies, according to God's word, your submission is not about how much you trust your husband. Your submission is about whether or not you trust God. If you have a Bible and you want to look with me at 1 Peter 3.5, 1 Peter 3.5, so you don't think that this is my opinion. That your submission, ladies, is actually a reflection of your faith in the Lord. In this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Why were these holy women submissive to their husbands? Because they trusted their husbands? Because their husbands always made the right decisions? Because their husbands always treated them the way that they wanted to be treated? Because their husbands are perfect. No, 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 no. They submit it to their husbands because they trust the Lord. A wife's submission doesn't have so much to do with whether she trusts her husband. But it has a ton to do with whether she trusts God. A woman's trust or faith is what combats the fear that she's experiencing at that moment when she thinks her husband is making the wrong decision. Let me say that one more time. It is a woman's faith in the Lord, her trust in God that combats that deep anxiety and fear she feels at that moment when she's supposed to submit, but thinks that her husband is making the wrong decision. The next verse, 1 Peter 3, 6, so you can think this, don't think this is my opinion either. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Sarah is brought forth from the Old Testament as the example for wives. And I know what you ladies are saying when you read this. You read this and you're like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem for Sarah. I mean, she's married to Abraham. (laughs) If I was married to Abraham, I wouldn't have any trouble with submission either. If my husband was the father of faith. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies, do you really think that it was easy being married to Abraham? How many times did they move? What did that nomadic lifestyle look like when every single time Sarah's starting to get settled, Abraham says, well, we got to pick up and we got to go somewhere else. How easy do you think it was for Sarah to submit to Abraham when Abraham said, hey, you know, honey, I'm pretty much afraid for my life. Can you put your life in danger and say that you're my sister? Twice. He did that Twice. You think it was easy to submit to Abraham? Sarah's probably brought forth as an example for wives because of how difficult it was to submit to Abraham. He didn't always look like the father of faith. Notice the words, not afraid with any terror. Now, I look at that, and I think terror is what you feel when you're on a plane that's about to crash, Or terror is what you feel when you get a call in the middle of the night that one of your children has been in an accident. Or terror is what you feel when you're sitting across from the doctor and he says that you've got cancer. Well, apparently to God, terror is also what women can feel when they have to submit to their husbands. (laughs) And that can sound like a joke, but ladies, you need to know God means this as an encouragement to you. He's letting you know that what? Submission is terrifying. He's saying, I understand. I understand that you are feeling terror at this moment. God doesn't minimize it. He puts it right in the word for you to see that it's terrifying to submit to your husband, but he still says what? You need to trust me. I've commanded you to do this. You can trust me. And what's interesting with Sarah, Sarah submitted to her husband, He made terribly foolish decisions, and God still protected her. God still protected her. Since submission involves overcoming fear, or to be biblical, terror, this tells us something very important about wives who submit to their husbands, and this brings us to the next part of lesson two. Lesson two, submission means a wife, part three, keeps her strength under control. A wife keeps her strength under control. Let me just ask you a question. Since submission is such a terrifying thing for wives, what does it tell us about wives who submit? They're brave, they are courageous. It takes a lot of courage to submit. There are plenty of women who are too afraid to submit. There are plenty of women who don't trust God enough to submit. There are plenty of women who do not have the strength to submit. So please understand this, ladies. When you submit to your husband, it is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. It is not a sign of faithlessness. It is a sign of faithfulness. It's a sign of your deep and intimate relationship with the Lord. Submission is not for weak, wimpy doormats, as some people say. Because weak, wimpy doormats don't have the faith or strength to submit. Submission is for who? It is for strong, godly, biblical women. Because they're the only ones who are strong enough to obey that command. I want to briefly share a personal story with you that I hope helps illustrate what we're discussing here The summer after my eighth grade year, my wife and I grew up in Northern California together, but I was born in New York, and my dad had worked on this dairy farm when he was growing up, and so it was this very nostalgic thing for me to fly back to New York and work on the same dairy farm that my dad had worked on, but I didn't know anyone there. I had never been there before, And I think it was after my eighth grade year. And so I'm 12 or 13 at this time. And I had no friends to play with. I'd never met these family members before. The cousins who were there were considerably older than me. And so to entertain myself, I had to try to find things around the farm to do. And something that caught my attention on a number of days was there was a bull that stood at the end of the barn, and he just kind of stared straight ahead every day. He almost looked like a statue. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I can get him to move. (laughs) (laughs) He looks so bored there. So I go up, and I'm kind of playing with the bull, and he's not moving. And then I start kind of taunting him and antagonizing him a little bit more. And apparently at a moment when he was not enjoying this quite as much as I was enjoying it, he lifted up his head behind me, and he launched me into the air. And if you've ever watched rodeos on television where there's like a cowboy that gets thrown off a bowl and all the arms and legs are everywhere, you know, that's pretty much what I look like. And fortunately, there was a high ceiling in the barn, and so I didn't end up crashing into the ceiling, but I did come crashing back down to earth onto the cement. And so my cousin, who was more like an uncle to me, watched this happen, and he came running down to where I was at at the end of the barn, and he's screaming at me some, some number of profanities about how foolish and stupid I was and how I could have gotten myself killed and he couldn't believe that I could do something like that and maybe I need to stay in California and not come out and work on a dairy farm again. And so at that point, there's something he said that I thought was particularly interesting. He said, do you see that little chain around the bull's neck that attaches to that bar in front of him? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, that little chain is the only thing holding that bull there. And at that moment, I thought two things. First, I thought, why don't they put a bigger chain around his neck? (laughs) And the second thing I thought was, that is a tremendous amount of strength under control. That is a tremendous amount of strength that is being subdued by that little chain. And ladies, I want you to... Recognize that we, as your husbands, recognize that that's what's happening when you're submitting to us. We know that you have the strength to do what? Launch us into the air. (laughs) We know that you have the strength to cast off any sort of authority or headship that God has given us because God is not forcing you to recognize that. Submission is a choice, it's deliberate, it's willful. If it's forced, that's not submission. Your last lesson, lesson three, I want to address the men. A husband should wake, make his wife's submission easier. A husband should make his wife's submission easier. After I, when I went through college, I went through Army ROTC. After I graduated college, I served as an officer in the Army. And everyone in the military, whether officer or enlisted, has the exact same fear, which is this. What if I have someone In authority over me, who is inept or incompetent, and I'm expected to submit to or recognize this person's authority. Gentlemen, can you see why I'm sharing that? That is the exact same fear that every single wife experiences when she learns that she's expected to submit to her husband. What if he's incompetent? What if he's inept? Can I really trust him to lead our family well? Can I trust him to make the right decisions? Is he really looking to God for direction and wisdom? And so, gentlemen, please give me your attention. I have been talking to your wives. I believe loud and clear about submission and what God's word says. I have not shrunk back from telling you anything that scripture says. But, gentlemen, don't let me say all of this to your wives, and then you make her submission harder by being an ungodly man don't let me say all of this to your wives and then you make her submission harder god gives her a command but you can definitely make it harder or easier for her to obey that command i'll give you two straightforward ways to make your wife's submission easier first be a spiritual man be a spiritual man gentlemen A wife is going to have a considerably, almost extraordinarily easier time submitting to a godly man, a man that she knows prays, a man that she knows reads the word, a man that she sees involved in the local church, serving and active, faithfully attending One of the best ways for you to love your wife as Christ loves the church and one of the best ways for you to dwell with your wife in an understanding way as 1 Peter 3, 7 commands is for you to be a spiritual man who will make her submission that much easier. And the second thing you can do, gentlemen, is this. Live a holy life. Pursue holiness. If you have habitual sin in your life that your wife is aware of, you are making it unbelievably difficult for her to submit to you. I can almost guarantee that there have been some women sitting here today listening to me, and in the privacy of their heart, this is what they're saying. I want to be able to look up to my husband. I want to be able to follow his lead. I want to be able to trust him. I want to be able to submit to him. But there's this sin in his life. I see the way he treats our children, the way he talks to them, the way he talks to me. I know the things that he looks at. I know that he doesn't work hard to take care of our family. When a wife recognizes these things about her husband, it makes her submission unbelievably difficult. So gentlemen, let me just be candid with you. If you're looking at things that you shouldn't, you are putting an unbelievably heavy burden On your wife's shoulders. You are making it near impossible for her to be able to respect you if she knows that you won't rip your eyes away from things that you shouldn't see. If that's a struggle for you, you need to repent. I'd even consider it a privilege to be able to pray for you. So gentlemen, yes, your wife is commanded to submit to you, but you can definitely make that submission easier or harder for her. Part of loving her as Christ loves the church is being a godly spiritual man, repenting of that unrepentant habitual sin that is in your life, surrendering your life to Christ, and thinking about how much easier it will be for your wife to be able to submit to a man who's living that way. Now, after this, my wife and I, were going to be available at our booth. We would consider it a—we're not going to have the time we wish we could with all of you, but— if you, I have my email address on that handout. We would consider it a privilege to be able to speak to you. We will be available for prayer as long as we can out there in the foyer. I have two books I want to mention to you. Much of this material from all of my marriage messages is in my book, Marriage God's Way. Considerably more content in the book than I can get into all of my messages. There's an accompanying workbook for it, the Marriage God's Way workbook. If money's tight, I'll give you these. Come to the booth and just let me know that. All I want to see is marriages strengthened, Christ being exalted. I just ask one thing. If you're going to get a book or a workbook for free, what do you think is the one request I have for you? Make sure you read it. (laughs) Make sure you use it, please. My email address is on the back of the book, and I would consider it a privilege, and so would my wife, to be able to pray for all of you. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for this time, and I pray for each of us, myself included and Katie, that you would help us, help all of us, help the husbands here, to be to their wives what Christ should be to the ch- what Christ is, was to the church, and that wives can be to their husbands what the church is commanded to be to Christ. I thank you for the gospel and its powerful work in our hearts and lives to transform us into the husbands and wives you want us to be. If there's any way for Katie and I to be able to serve any of the couples here, we pray that you would burden them to come see us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.